Hey, Sam. Hey, Teresa. What's up? Not much. I actually just got off the tennis court. It feels good to be back playing tennis. How are you? Um, I just got back from class. Feels good to be educated. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am about to go back to class. Um, History of Animation with Linda Semensky. Um, director I think of content at PBS don't quote me on that but love her class excited to learn about animation in 30 minutes shout out to our queen let's continue the film theme because we have a really dope director writer and editor on our podcast today Teresa do you want to tell us who we have on Yes. Um, today we're super excited for our episode because we will be interviewing Elizabeth Lowe over a glass of cereal milk. Great. Let's get into it. So for today's drink, we chose cereal milk. Um, which some would say is non-conventional, but others would say um, has been a part of our lives since we were young. Um, I made my cereal milk today through soaking some frosted flakes in milk, and then I ate the frosted flakes, and then now I'm drinking the milk. Um, Honestly, I really like cereal milk um, because growing up, my dad would always want to buy frosted flakes at the store um, because it was like his guilty pleasure. Um, But I unfortunately do not like Momofuku milk bars, like cereal ice cream thing. I think it's a little bit too sweet, but I'm like my glass of cereal milk right now. Yeah, I mean, this will surprise no one who saw last week's episode. Um, but I did get the Momofuku uh, cereal milk and I thought it was terrible. I think they should leave milk alone. <laughs> I don't want cereal in it. I don't want strawberries in it. Chocolate is okay. But yeah, don't get the cereal milk hype. I really just like normal milk. I don't know why you'd mess with something that does so good on its own. Yeah, so clearly we have very strong opinions on something that nobody really has strong opinions on. Um, but moving on to today's guest, we are so excited to be talking to filmmaker Elizabeth Lowe. I watched and reviewed her film for The Q um, a couple of weeks ago called Stray, which is a documentary film that follows dogs in Istanbul, Turkey. Um, and it is in, in many ways a very simplistic film based on the plot because you kind of just like takes you through the lives of some stray dogs in Turkey, but in a lot of ways, it uses this sort of simple narrative to not only make us reflect about um, ourselves as humans, but also reflect on the relationship between dogs and humans um, and the existence of dogs in their own personal lives in general. Um, I just thought that this was such a beautifully um, done film and um, yeah I'm super excited to ask Elizabeth Lowe about filming um, editing and also just like what she personally learned from um, making this documentary yeah and I mean the thing that struck me the most about the film is that it takes you into the world of the dog in a way that a lot of other films don't it doesn't feel like you're observing dogs from a human perspective 
you like kind of forget almost the human perspective at some points in this film, which I think is really, really hard to do as a filmmaker and very rarely gets done in film. So I'm really excited to ask her about the process of making that happen. Yeah, and with that, should we call her up right now? Yeah, let's call her up. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah, nice to meet you. Um, I watched Stray like a month ago, I would say. And um, I thought that it was just like the coolest movie. My first question would be, um, I guess, like what initially drew you to making films? And also like with Stray specifically, what made you want to dedicate a whole film to, um, you know, dogs and like Istanbul? Um, I don't I think the desire to make films came in high school. I think I just loved watching movies and wanted to get an education in film because I thought how great would it be where your homework is <laughs> watching films and thinking about them. Um, so that's how it started. And I actually discovered documentary filmmaking while I was an undergrad and had to take a class that was a required course on nonfiction film because I had not really been exposed to documentaries at that point before. But it was when I watched uh, Chris Marker's Sansaleil and Errol Morris's Gates of Heaven and Vernon, Florida, that I realized that these are films that aren't necessarily taking on big subject matter. They like, especially with Vernon, Florida um, and Gates of Heaven, where it's about um, uh, a pet cemetery and people who go to this pet cemetery and they just talk to Errol Morris about their pets, their dead pets. And with Vernon, Florida, it's even more sort of meandering in terms of where those interviews go. I realized that nonfiction could still be a space where an artist can express yourself. Um, and it was in undergrad when I kind of realized I wasn't as keen on working with actors and things like that. And so, but then discovering documentary allowed me and then seeing these films that had been made that don't feel like they're about anything in this journalistic sense, but had were saying so much that made me realize, oh, documentary is this place where I can continue to express myself without having to work with actors or orchestrate reality in this really heightened way that fiction requires. And so that's how I sort of discovered documentary filmmaking. And it was also this film that I made, uh, one of the first short films I ever made, which was during college called Zoo. Um, and it was about, when I set out to make it, it was just about going to the Central Park Zoo or the Bronx Zoo to find out why people bother to go to these really strange institutions to gawk at foreign animals you know, and, and, and bring their kids there. And what does that say about us? And in the course of making that film, I discovered that at the Bronx Zoo, they had actually housed a human with a monkey, with monkeys. And this human was a African man who was a pygmy from um, the Congo. And it was during King Leopold's raping and pillaging of the Congo that he was brought to America and housed with monkeys. And after he was uh, released, he committed suicide. And the intersections between speciesism and racism and colonialism all came out from this reality that I just dug a little deeper into, not expecting what I would find. And that journey and that process made me really fall in love with the documentary 
form. And even in making Stray, your question was like how I stumbled upon or decided that this was worthy of a feature. I think for me at the forefront of the things that I do care about, I do think the struggle for animal rights and acknowledging the sentience and personhood of other beings that fall outside of our humanity or perceived humanity is sort of the next social justice frontier that is very tied with the struggle for gender parity or you know racial justice and it's just more marginalized as a as a social movement and for me i thought it was really important to say that a feature length film that a dog like zayton inconspicuous sort of life of her no matter how dull it is for human audiences is worthy of our time and that i hoped that the way that i made the film helped sort of imbue her with a richness, helped audiences get over that species hump and, and imagine that she has a rich life, which I, I felt like I observed. Um, and that was sort of the purpose of, of Stray. Definitely, everything you said just brought up so many questions. You phrased that so beautifully. But I mm -hmm. guess the first thing I was wondering is you did just talk about how it was really important for you to like show the richness of this life. I know that you you hadn't visited Istanbul before this, right? Yeah. So were you worried ever that when you got there, what did you have any plan if the dogs just actually sat there all day? Or were you pretty confident that wouldn't happen? So that was a big fear. We did this month-long scout uh, prior to actual production to see if our concept would work, which is follow stray dogs. Where do they take you? What will they reveal about us in the process? And I did find that at first when I went out to film, it was, I filmed with a bunch of dogs, like oh, probably tens and tens of dogs. And it, it was worrying because it felt like, you know, stray dogs don't have jobs. They don't have homes. They don't have regular relationships with people. Um, where was the story gonna come from? But it was when I met Zayton, uh, the main character of Stray, that it really felt like the film would become something where she really was living this really active life partly informed by her relationship with the young Syrian men who traverse across different neighborhoods. And so she follows them along. And so her range was much more expansive. And she just took herself on hours long walks. And I was always very surprised by how active stray dogs are, like dogs left unattended without owners. How active are they? And they, they really are. And they have lots of interests throughout the city and that I just had to trust in that process that even if there was not too much for a conventional documentary, I think one could argue there's not that much that happens in Stray. But the, the film's project is to ask audiences to invest time in things that don't seem that interesting to humans also. That the things that dogs might be interested in or how they make sense of the world or the environment around them is just as valid, at least for prompting questions in our minds. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, one of my favorite parts of the movie was when, or there are multi, like, there are just parts where you would um, highlight like conversations from humans that were like so stupid, like this woman on the phone, like, why would you call me back? <laughs> or like that conversation about love, where they're like, you're being dumb. Um, so like, what made you want to like, highlight those 
moments audially and visually um and like yeah like what were you trying to I guess like compare and contrast with those um snippets so part of the concept of the film was informed by the philosophy of Diogenes the Greek philosopher who modeled his way of life around stray dogs because he felt that dogs not having jobs not being complicit in the workforce in industry in family or marriage they because they're not complicit are able to look at the follies of humankind more objectively and and like sort of look at the things that we hold so dearly whether it's monogamy or, or any other values uh that dogs can defamiliarize that what we sort of what we have taken for granted as the rules of life and so I think when Zayton is listening in on these snippets of human dramas, some that seem really petty to us when you're only getting a snippet of it and you're not invested in those human characters' lives, then, then it sort of begs you to sort of step back and, and question what are the things in life that I really care about? You know, Instagram, all, you know, all the things that consume our, our psyche, Zayton doesn't care too much, maybe a little bit, and then she wanders off. Uh, for me, it wasn't, I don't mean to sort of like editorialize the, a value judgment about these women's lives or the men's lives that are around them. But I think it was an in interesting experiment in, in seeing like what happens when you look at these dramas from a non-human perspective or, or grasping at a non-human perspective. And of course, I think a lot is revealed about a particular society or a universal issues around around gender or inclusion um, and things like that. And, but then some of them are inexplicable, which I those are my favorite moments, like in the Women's March when women are fighting for their rights in the streets of Istanbul. And uh, Nazar goes into the crowd and she starts having sex with another dog. And, you know, dogs don't have this political consciousness in the way that we understand it. And what does that mean? I don't I have no idea. But I think that's just one of like those kinds of moments feel like very cinematic to me because they they capture the messiness of life and they're not trying to editorialize it too much. Yeah, and sort of like on capturing those moments, I guess like were some of those moments captured like you were in the moment and you were like, this is how I envision this fitting in the movie. Um, and were some of them by any chance, like after, like when, cause I know you also edited the movie Were any of them like retrospectively, like, oh, this would fit in here or this and this actually provides like a cool contrast. I think we knew while shooting, like what, because the dog's lives didn't always encounter or stumble upon sort of humanly dramatic moments or conversations that are necessarily very interesting. And so when those would happen, we would know that this would probably end up in the film because we were filming for six months and you know ended up with a 72 minute film. So you can imagine what the ratio of like moments that might engage audiences versus not are. So it was pretty clear, like once we filmed the women's protests with, with Nazar, we knew that that was gonna be in the film just because these are one of the more, more dramatic moments and also was an accurate reflection of like the, the tumult that Turkish society was undergoing at the time. And same yeah. with the refugee crisis, like we filmed in three different cities and every city went to, even though it's not in the film, it got cut, every city went to, there were Afghans on the streets, there were Syrians, there were people from Pakistan. 
so it was and, and Turkey obviously is has the highest refugee population in the world and it was very is unavoidable almost that the young men's storylines crept into Zaytan's and become a prominent part mm. of her life because it is this realistic depiction of of Istanbul at the time that we were filming yeah that's so interesting how you talked about it it kind of reminds me like in skateboarding when you're like filming someone trying to do a trick over and over and you know there's going to be like that one <laughs> that it finally lands it um but I guess another question that I had is I think this film definitely prompts like consideration of like humanity and the human element but is there any part of you that just wanted to like show the dog's life for what they are because every time I was watching I kind of felt bad for being like oh this like reminds me of this human thing or this puts humanity into a different perspective like is there any part of you who really wanted the viewer to be fully focused on the life of the dog yeah I mean that was really important and that was always a struggle balancing whose story are we trying to tell humanity story or canine lives and I think over time what I realized in terms of the balance that was struck because I always knew I didn't want the dogs just to be used as vessels for looking at ourselves, that their lives and their experiences and their narratives are as important as ours. And I think most films that take on animals as their central characters, they tend to use animals as just like a mirror for us. So it's really narcissistic for the most part. And for me, I think, in the course of making the film and trying to juggle how much of it is about humans, how much of it is just Zaytan's story and, and Nazar and Kartal. Over time, I think I realized that it was a false sort of dichotomy that is culturally set up, that we perceive ourselves to be different than animals. And that actually the story of Zaytan's life as we followed her was very much entwined with the humans around her necessarily because of the evolution of her existence as a dog and also our existence we wouldn't have been we wouldn't have gotten to where we are as humans without dogs domesticated or being a part of our lives and so then i realized that in telling the story of dog it's 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 always going to be involve humans and so but i was also very conscious in editing that even while the relationship with the young men is so powerful and can be seductive because that's a paradigm of viewing dogs that we're used to through a pet ownership paradigm or the human dog relationship. I always made sure that whenever we were with the boys, it would cut back to pretty long segments of Zayton on her own walking through the city so that their relationship wouldn't overtake Zayton's solitary existence. And the film begins and ends with her alone. And so that was this sort of resistance against only making it about a metaphor for humanity, which it, I hope it's, it's not just that. And did you come across that dichotomous or that realization about the dichotomy, like before you met the Syrian men or after you were like, okay, I see how this comes together. And it was, after. It was actually oh, okay. at the end of editing the film, probably. Okay. That journey yeah. of figuring out how to tell the story without losing Zayton's story. But yeah. also, I am conscious of my audience and, and conscious that if the whole film, the first 10 minutes are silent for the most part with just mm -hmm. Zayton wandering, if that had been 70 minutes, it would have been a really rigorous film 
incredible, I think, but I also did want the film to reach people and I wanted, so that's, so I see those human conversations that are peppered in those moments of drama, juicy bits of gossip, mm. relationships as sort of cutaways, necessary, almost rewards for the audience, the human audience to stay involved in Zayton's story. Because I knew that, I mean, there's another version of this film where it can just rigorously be Zayton with no subtitles, no overheard conversations, just her life. But I wanted to, I wanted to reach people. And, and so those human elements were, were, were brought in, but hopefully don't overshadow her life. No, definitely. And that kind of goes to one of the questions we had also about um, the music in the film, which I really loved. Um, and I thought, as you said, definitely push the film forward, even if like, quote, nothing was happening. It was like a sense of like momentum. Um, and I was wondering, can you talk about sort of like um, what went behind your decision to um, just even add music, I guess, in general, and then also like in what places you felt were like most necessary? I mean, with the music, I think it was this compromise between like how much of the music is just for our, my own viewing pleasure and how much does it really tie into the story and the lived experiences of Zayton and her companions. And I think when you in, you, in the sound design, you can hear that the music becomes echoey and is like a little bit dissonant. Strings are clashing against each other. And that was Ernst Carroll taking elements of Ali Hemline, the composer's score, and sort of like crushing it to become, to complicate it. So it's not just a straight, beautiful track, that it can be, that it has a distorted quality to it. But also at the same time, it's filmmaking is a very personal venture. And I don't think it just has to be theoretically rigorous at all times, at least in this film that I made. I chose to just indulge in a personal preference that I wanted to experience these dogs' lives with the tools of cinema, which include music, and to see what that does in, in taking this really lived gritty experience and 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 setting it against a somewhat classical score and, and see what that did. Because for me, I see their, I felt their lives were really transcendent and and, and maybe the, the score was to help sort of make that feeling come through. But I think there are many ways to have gone in, in this. But for me, this film was such a personal project that I didn't mind that there was no theoretical justification for why the music is the way it is and it's just, because I found it beautiful and pleasurable. Yeah, and um, well, you just talked about how this film was such a personal project, especially like in comparison to like other films, I feel like you see since you had so much creative control and you were there for so long, I feel like it, it really impacted your life. And I was wondering, is there anything that you took away from the experience of making the film that you feel like changed your life at all? I think, one of the big transformations I underwent was I went into this project thinking that this was going to be an exploration of what it means to live without love or status or security in the world. Like, and the stray dog to me in my mind embodied that because culturally that was what I was brought up to believe. But when I discovered Turkey and their really symbiotic relationship with 
stray animals, cats and dogs, where dogs are taken care of, they're allowed to roam, people fought for their rights to just simply exist without being persecuted or incarcerated or put down. Um, my mind really changed that the narratives I had been told by Western civilizations and maybe Eastern ones that dogs have to be controlled and that they have no value unless they're our property, which is essentially what happens in the West because we destroy all other animals that don't fall under the category of ownership because they serve no economic purpose or reincarcerate them, that it, it's the societies that don't have stray dogs that are actually very inhumane. And it's the societies that do have flourishing large populations of stray animals that we tend to look at as somehow backwards or not taking care of their animals from the West, that they're actually more merciful in allowing them to exist in, in large numbers and that they are capable of having really rich lives and to presume that a dog cannot exist without us. Of course, these stray dogs live off of the mercy of, of the butchers and the restaurant workers and the cafe goers, but that they cannot live outside of sort of the extension of a leash or the food that we choose to give the dog is so uh, sort of blind to the agency of animals and their resilience. No, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I had no idea about um, the whole history in Istanbul before watching this movie. Um, I have two more questions. The first is just, how did you like come across and choose um, the title cards in between scenes in Stray? And did you see them as like more observational or more as like theses for like the part that they were about to present? I think the chapters functioned partly, a, they functioned a narrative role where because this film is not linear, there are no natural story beats. The, the black are moments of reprieve for the claustrophobia of this close camera work around the dogs. And then the quotes that are there are hundreds of years old, oh, sorry, thousands of years old often. And I was hoping that these quotes from philosophers that have been passed down from ancient traditions would spark in audiences sort of a valid, sort of a legitimization of this project of looking at the dog that when audiences go see this film, you might think, oh, what a waste of time. Why are we here, you know, with Zayton sniffing the water? Like, what does that mean? Because the audience, the film is not speaking for what the film, what the scenes mean to Zayton, that the quotes would help lend a sense of that that the idea of looking at dogs and, and, and being able to glean something deeper from it actually has a, yeah, a thousands of years old way of thinking, is a thousands of years old way of thinking. Um, yeah, um, and our last question is just, what are you, I mean, you, you know, you just wrapped up straight not super long ago, but are you working on anything that you're excited about? If not, like just like anything you're excited about for the future, looking forward to? Yeah, so I, I'm working on my second feature length film, which I hope is gonna take place in China. And maybe this will change, but for now it's about love and maybe straying love in China. Okay. Wait, where do you know where in China you're filming it? It's all over. Okay. That should be really fun. Um, and it's really hot over there if you're doing it during the summer. But... Um, yeah, thank you so much again for hopping on this podcast.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Two Virgins. We hope you enjoy getting to know Elizabeth Lowe and check out her film Stray. You can find this episode on our website, quarantinecontent.com or on our weekly newsletter, The Q. See you next week.